Welcome to the CND podcast. I'm the feature editor, Thomas Cox. One of the biggest debates in pharmacy over the last few years has been around supervision. Some say that allowing pharmacies to temporarily operate without pharmacists would give them more flexibility, while others say that this would be a cost-cutting exercise that could downgrade patient care. The debate came to a head in 2017 when CND published documents suggesting that the Department of Health and Social Care was considering enabling pharmacy technicians to supervise the sale of pharmacy-only medicines. Then, during the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, the issue arose again in a slightly different form. On March 18th, the GPHC announced that in exceptional circumstances, when responsible pharmacists unavoidably had to leave the pharmacy, then the business could remain open for a short period as long as the pharmacist is contactable via video link or phone. Mike Hewitson, the owner of Beamer's Pharmacy in Dorset, has been a key figure in the pharmacy supervision debate over the last few years. In 2017, he gathered over 500 signatures on his letter to the DH, which said that having pharmacy technicians supervise pharmacies simply cannot be allowed to happen, as the public would be left without access to the knowledge and skills of the pharmacist. I spoke to Mike about the differences between remote supervision and supervision from technicians. These measures of having a pharmacist overseeing dispensing uh, of certain items via video link were brought in rapidly in response to COVID-19, but did not have any end date. Um, do you know whether companies have taken advantage of these measures so far? I'm not aware that anyone has at the minute, uh, Tom. Um, I mean, I can't speak for any other organisations, but uh, at the moment, uh, flexibility has been, I think, really important to maintaining pharmacy services. So um, I, I don't disagree with um, with using uh, these sorts of changes, uh, particularly during a crisis. Um, uh, but I think we have to be really careful about um, weakening the link between um, pharmacists and pharmacies. Uh, I think the public have really, really um, valued having uh, access to pharmacists in pharmacies during this crisis. And the last thing that I would want would be um, for a routine situation where some pharmacies are operating without a pharmacist or some organisations are using this as an opportunity to cut costs rather than focusing on the quality or continuity of services. Yes. Yeah, you you actually uh, wrote, wrote a letter in um, 2017 um, to the Department of, of Health, if I remember correctly, saying that many pharmacists were extremely concerned about the about their, their then supervision plans, which which are related to the ones that, that have, the GPHC have announced, but are slightly different in that those were regarding technicians. Um, overseeing the supervision of pharmacies as opposed to a responsible pharmacist via video link. Are there fundamental differences between these two types of super supervision um, that have led to to you being a bit a bit more positive about uh, the increased flexibility, as you call it? Yeah, so I think um, we have to to be mindful of um, twenty seventeen was quite a different place for pharmacy. Um, the, it wasn't clear that the government actually wanted any pharmacy service. Um, they were trying to um, create a stripped-down sort of um, premier in of pharmacy services, if you like, where you were getting a, an absolutely no-frills um, service. Um, and they were looking to strip out as much cost from the sector as possible, as far as I could see. Um, 
So the environment then was really um, quite toxic for pharmacy. Um, we were seeing um, these proposals uh, at the time as another opportunity to, um, to impose further cuts and to push a business model uh, onto pharmacies, which uh, was potentially um, not where the professionals delivering the service um, wanted to be. Um, just to give you an idea about that. Um, uh, so um, my concerns about remote supervision have always uh, been uh, around patient safety. So um, I saw a patient in my pharmacy on Monday who was quite clearly severely jaundiced. Um, and because I was able to look at the, well, not the whites, but the yellows of his eyes, I was able to um, to make an appropriate referral. So I think face-to-face -face is still really important. Um, and uh, I, I don't want us to lose sight of the relationship that exists with patients. But when we get to um, the supervision, um, the 2017 proposals um, to allow pharmacy professionals, that includes pharmacy technicians. Well, um, in our area, there are no community pharmacy technicians um, the, in rural areas. I think it's increasingly difficult to find them. So I, I wouldn't want to be straitjacketed by a set of proposals which empower, um, for example, technicians as a professional group when um, they're becoming increasingly difficult to find in a community pharmacy setting. You know, increasingly they're drifting off to um, primary care networks or uh, to general practice or to secondary care. Um, it's very rare actually you'll find an NVQ3 um, qualified technician in a pharmacy these days. So um, to me, those proposals were a bit of a, um, of a blind alley. There was um, no real longevity to them. Um, so, um, uh, the other concerns were around sort of weakening the uh, one pharmacist to one uh, one pharmacy um, rule, which I think is is quite important still. Um, so I understand during a pandemic that um, you know pharmacists are ill, etc. Then we do need to maintain a service, and um, theoretically something like a remote video link could um, provide some assurance um, for um, uh, patients um, that. Um, access to a pharmacist was possible and that there was still the same level of professional oversight that there would normally be. Because um, I think, again, um, there were a lot of challenges during that busy period back in March that um, really did need the expertise of a pharmacist. Um, uh, there were lots of things which um, we came across. We were seeing new patients from all over the country. Um, there were lots of requests for prescriptions earlier and earlier, so pharmacists were having to use their, their professional judgment. So um, I don't want anyone to think that, um, that I support proposals that would um, see a pharmacist not routinely in a pharmacy. Um, but that said, um, if there is some flexibility during a crisis for a responsible pharmacist to make a professional decision about how they want to exercise their um, uh, their um, responsibilities, their um, judgment. Um, you know, if I'm stuck at home because I'm isolating and potentially there are no locum pharmacists in the area, um, then uh, I, I think I'd rather um, be able to take that decision to supervise remotely uh, if, um, if I felt that were appropriate at the time. But this should be a decision made by the responsible pharmacist in the pharmacy, not a superintendent pharmacist necessarily. Um, uh, hundreds of miles away, um, dealing with you know hundreds and hundreds of branches. Um, so that's um, roughly why I see the two situations as different.
Yes, and I, I think it's it's worth mentioning that the the GPHC said that a pharmacist should only oversee uh, by a video link rarely and in, in exceptional circumstances. So definitely not in a, a standardised way or where it becomes routine. However, there were some reports uh, early on, on, on in the pandemic that the from 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 the PDA, among others, that some pharmacies. Uh, some family companies, some pharmacy companies, had been trying to make the uh, the process a bit more routine, um, which is the the real danger when when you make any uh, any change to supervision rules. And I think why 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 you you were up in arms about it originally with with technicians. Do you, do you not do you not think that these changes to the legislation, however, or the the guidance, however, however minor, might Open the floodgates to potential uh, future more routine cases where you have, don't have a pharmacist in, in the pharmacy. Yeah, so I think the um, I think the danger with supervision, Tom, to be honest, is um, that it's like tinkering with DNA. Um, it's so closely um, entwined with how pharmacists um, behave, how we feel about how we exercise our professional judgment, um, that. Um, there is always the risk that um, that there will be unforeseen consequences. Um, so I, I'm very mindful of that that concern. Um, you know, once the genie's out of the bottle, does that mean it's never going back in again? That's the risk. Um, and I guess technology is moving on at a pace at the moment where you know there are potentially the likes of of uh, amazon looking at pharmacy and thinking that that's some something they want to be involved with um so we have to be really careful that um that the uh, skill and knowledge of a pharmacist isn't replaced by you know an ai chatbot for example um which um sounds fairly dystopian but um, uh, could not be completely dismissed as beyond the realms of possibility so um you know, I, I still have fundamental um, concerns about weakening um, supervision to a point where a pharmacist isn't in a pharmacy. Um, I think um, it's not just about the knowledge, it's about the judgment of the pharmacist. And it takes a long time to develop um, to develop that um, intuition, um, that sixth sense almost about you know, when something's not quite right. We know that 80% of communication is non-verbal. Um, so, you know, when you've got a, a patient, um, for example, for emergency contraception, when you've got somebody coming in to talk to you um, and you've got a responsibility for safeguarding, then um, you can um, take some of those non-verbal cues, like, um, you know, people using um, body language to um, show distress or discomfort, um, looking for signs and symptoms of um, abuse, for example. Uh, do you think that, that you would be willing to step outside the law, as the GPHC puts it, and uh, if you if you had to step outside the, ph- the pharmacy for a bit and um, be the responsible pharmacist via video link overseeing medicines being dispensed? Yeah, I mean, it's not just about medicines being dispensed. It's also about the whole environment. Now, I suppose as a as owner and superintendent pharmacist, I have full control over the processes, the procedures, the people, the environment. Um, so I have more comfort than than a lot of people would have in uh, these circumstances where they're perhaps um, 
uh, more um, at the mercy of other people's um, sort of decisions. So um, would I do it? I think I would if, if I had to. So if it was uh, snowing outside and not safe to get to work um, and I had patients that um, needed um, um, medicines, then potentially I, I probably would be prepared to do that short term on a very occasional basis. But I certainly wouldn't be happy to do that to, for example, attend a meeting or um, to um, uh, or to, you know, for any other reason. Uh, I think we've got to um, to maintain pharmacists in pharmacies because it, it's a really important part of the service that we offer. Um, I think patients expect um, to be able to ac uh, access a pharmacist pretty much on demand. You know, I have dozens and dozens of interactions every day with people coming in saying they want to talk to the pharmacist and um, they're for advice and support. And that advice and support during COVID has never been in higher demand than, um, than it has been. So um, it's not just about the um, supply of medicines, um, which at the end of the day, we might be able to do some of that remotely, but it's more about the patient interaction um, that, that concerns me um, than the technical process. Um, uh, I, I think that's that's the crucial bit because I trust my people. Um, I'm, I'm confident having worked with them that they all know the limits um, that they're comfortable with. I'm comfortable with, with the way they've been trained and, and behave. So um, I don't have any problem with with some aspects of, of this being um, more flexible, but the patient and trying to keep them safe is my primary concern. Some multiples may may, may see this as a, a cost-saving um, opportunity, uh, as, as some critics have, have said. Um, do, you, do you think that, that multiples are more liable to, to abuse the possibility of using video link than in independence? Uh, I mean, I can't speak for the behaviour of, of any other organisation, but um, I suppose that that's the risk that concerns most pharmacists. Um, you know, I, I'm not and haven't worked for a multiple, um, uh, so I, I can't say you know how they will will respond to, to this sort of um, opportunity, but it does concern me that they see the pharmacist as, as less of a an asset and more of a cost um, and we've got to um, I think we've got to try and add value through the process as pharmacists we can't just be um, stood in the back um, of the dispensary not interacting with patients we've got to try and um, add some form of um, value to the process whether that's advice and support or whether it's um, safety and quality um, and I would be really concerned if um, pharmacy organisations started to um, to cut the hours of pharmacists um, or cut the salaries of pharmacists based on the potential of technology such as this to um, to uh, free them up or make them um, superfluous to requirements. Now, um, I think independence <coughs> from <coughs> excuse me from the long history that I've had with them. I don't know many independents that would necessarily um, want to operate a, um, a pharmacist light model, if if you want to call it that, where there's not huge access to a pharmacist. Um, 
I think um, instinctively we all want to try and offer a, a safe and professional service. We want to offer high standards to customers because that's what, what keeps people coming back. Um, the risk um, here is that actually if you end up with um, some organisations choosing to use supervision as a cost-cutting exercise, so the pharmacy up the road decides to operate without a pharmacist for, you know, two days a week or something, um, then inevitably if they become cheaper, <clears throat> there could become an economic incentive from pharmacies that um, are struggling financially at the moment to to want to go down this route. But um, And then that becomes a race to the bottom in terms of both quality and, and access. And I really wouldn't support that because I think um, having the access to a pharmacist is so important um, for um, both the pharmacy team, but also for, for customers and patients. Um, so um, do I think there's more of a risk with independence and multiples? I think there are different philosophies. Um, I can understand why people have got concerns. I, I personally don't have any contact with the multiples these days, so uh, I can't say what their thinking is. So um, uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think I can, I can say yes to that question. When you, you mentioned that you could see a situation in which um, you weren't able to get to the pharmacy because because of snow, for example, um, there, haven't, there haven't been um, really really any like clear guidelines on how long a pharmacist sh- should be outside the pharmacy for um, if they have to be due to these exceptional circumstances in which video link is permitted. Uh, do you have any idea what would be like a, a maximum time in which uh, you would be responsible pharmacist via, via video link or, or, or should there be any guidance on um, on this time period? So I think my leaving it permissive down i.e down to the individual pharmacy owner or operator um, I do think that there is a risk there that some people will um, take the mick uh, to be honest Tom so um, guidance is always helpful in that respect but um, ultimately, I, I think it comes back to the professional judgment of um, that responsible pharmacist. It should only ever be as an exception. Um, it should only ever be for the shortest length of time possible because it, it is less than um, it is less than ideal um, uh, and should only be used to maintain a you know, service in an emergency. As far as I'm concerned, it shouldn't be used to facilitate, for example, domiciliary visits or um, a meeting with the local GPs or anything like that. I think we have to try and keep this for um, special circumstances such as um, the current COVID um, uh, situation or you know, very bad weather or, you know, uh, God forbid, terrorist attacks and things like that. So um, you've, you've got to... I think maintain some degree of flexibility to allow for the provision of pharmaceutical services in those sorts of situations but i don't want it being used um, routinely to um, to distance the relationship between the pharmacist and the patient because at the end of the day yes you know a pharmacist at a call center um, somewhere can probably answer a question about an interaction or um, a, uh, a side effect but it's about the long-term relationship for me with the patient and customer. So you can see um, when you've got that longitudinal relationship, you're seeing the same people month in, month out. Um, you can see a deterioration over time in their um, physical or mental um, well-being. And I think 
that is where we tend to add value as pharmacists. Um, so, you know, should it be two hours? Should it be four hours? Not for me to say, um, I think it's down to the individual responsible pharmacist to make a professional judgment about that. And I think that should be done at the level of the RP, assuming the additional responsibilities. It shouldn't be based on um, based on you know a memo or a uh, uh, some form of edict from uh, a superintendent on high that this is what will happen. Um, ultimately, I suppose they are the person that's professionally accountable for the provision or the um, lack of provision of pharmaceutical services. So, you know, if a patient can't get their medicine and suffers a harm as a result of that, then uh, that potentially is as risky as um, uh, as choosing to operate via a, a different model for a period of time. So you have to weigh up those two um, different and competing interests. Yeah, because I, I, I guess there's um, an, another possible scenario where this where this could be uh, used is um, when if pharmacy teams go go down because of um, they're at risk of having been in contact with um, with someone with coronavirus. Um, now Simon Simon Duke said in June that the NHS track and trace program had the potential to close pharmacies pretty pretty rapidly. The now the the video link could potentially be used to keep pharmacies open um, should there be someone in, in, in the pharmacy who isn't who isn't a pharmacist but that would mean keeping them open for entire days without um, a pharmacist in, in, in the building but you don't think that, that that should be possible I think again it's down to the judgment of the responsible pharmacist being asked to take on that responsibility so you know I, I was quite careful not to define a, a limit you know it shouldn't shouldn't be specified that it's you know an hour or two hours or 10 hours or a week or a month um i think it's got to be down to the professional judgment of the rp taking that responsibility um and i think where we need to be careful here is um where rps are being pressured by uh, for example uh, non-pharmacist managers or uh, by um, superintendents or area managers i think that's where i have a real concern is that um uh, pharmacists should be free to use their professional judgment um, in the best interests of patients. So if they feel that uh, opening with uh, a video link is permissible because they, they have no alternative, then I'm, I'm not going to put a timescale on that because I think we have to ju- trust the judgment of those pharmacists, but the judgment of those pharmacists has to be free and fair. So I would um, personally take a, a very dim view of um uh, of area managers, for example, interfering or pressurising um, pharmacists to make a judgment that they did not feel comfortable with. So, you know, it's very difficult for us, for somebody who's never set foot in um, in a particular pharmacy, um, to understand, you know, the pressures and challenges of that pharmacy. But whereas, um, if you've got, for example, uh, somebody who normally works in that branch who's self-isolating at home because they've got a family member that's got symptoms, then I sort of, I think they've got more of an understanding about the idiosyncrasies of that particular um, pharmacy. So, you know, I, I didn't implicitly trust their um, judgment and knowledge to, um, to to a greater extent than I would somebody at a call centre in, for example, Nottingham. 
Um, so uh, I've, I've been at, at pains there to, to state that uh, I don't think regulation can necessarily set a time limit. It's got to be down to the individual RP, um, but the individual RP must not and cannot be under pressure from um, their organisational hierarchy, whether that's the owner, the superintendent or the regional or branch managers. Um, you've got to give them um, the opportunity to make their own judgments and they should not face consequences as a result of making a professional judgment. If a pharmacist says, no, I think we should shut the pharmacy because on the balance of risk, uh, I don't feel it is safe to continue, then we shouldn't be um, penalising them for that. You know, I had similar situations where um, I've had um, RPs um, uh, where a member of staff went sick, threatening to close the pharmacy. Well, um, OK, I, I understand where they're coming from. And at the end of the day, they're the person that's taking accountability for that. I'm not going to then turn around and, and take any action against them if they felt that that was um, the, the most appropriate course of action. That said, um, I think sometimes people are, are perhaps a little bit too quick to jump for that nuclear option um, when they haven't explored all of the alternatives. So um, I've always been keen. So when people have said that about you know people, a number of staff being sick, I'm going to have to shut the pharmacy. Um, what we've done in those circumstances is um, call in extra staff um, to make sure that we can continue to maintain the service. And I think um, this whole period has, has sort of been about um, been about life support for pharmacies. So um, what do I mean by that? Um, when somebody has a you know a heart attack or whatever, the um, the aim of basic life support is to maintain blood flow to the brain. So you know, in this case, uh, it's been about maintaining the dispensing process during those really dif difficult times in um, March and April this year when the, the workload was so heavy. Um, you know, we've had to make decisions. We've had to close down other areas of the, of the business. We've had to redeploy staff to maintain that continuity and safety within the dispensing process and just go back to the absolute core function of, of the pharmacy during those periods. So. You know, if that means not answering the phone, it means not answering the phone. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I've talked around the houses there, but uh, it, again, for me, it's all about the, res the responsible pharmacist judgment. Does that mean I'm abdicating responsibility? No, I think that's about empowering the individual to make um, the decision which um, is in the best interest of the patients and the public. Yes, yeah, definitely it should be remain in the hands of responsible pharmacists. But if but if there is no 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 time limit, um, and the responsible pharmacist decides that they should be out of the pharmacy for a month because that will, and by via video link, and that, that because that's the only way for them to be able to continue patient care, and that is in the patient's best interest, which they could argue is because um, they they're able to keep the pharmacy open and continue just dispensing despite. The fact that there is no pharmacist in the pharmacy, do you, do you think that would be a scenario that would, would, would have some logic in it? Uh, so I think, Tom, just to come back to the basic point that we started with, which was about, you know, fundamentally a pharmacist should be in the pharmacy. Um, uh, I think if you were talking about, you know, days or weeks on end, uh, I think it's difficult to justify that there are um, no other options um, when you go uh, beyond, you know, a, a couple of days, for example, um, 
uh, you could you could find a locum, you could you know cancel holiday, you could move people around, um, you could change opening hours, um, which um, would allow you to have, for example, you know one responsible pharmacist in the pharmacy in, in the morning and then a different pharmacy in the afternoon, and that's that's something that you know uh, might have to take uh, place if we get to a second spike in the winter or there's a bad flu season or something like that. So yeah, I, I I do think that once you go beyond, you know, that short period, it becomes more and more difficult to justify why you're having to, um, to take these exceptional measures. So as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, the owner or superintendent pharmacist should have to justify um, why what actions they've taken um that mean that um that this is the only course of action open to them it shouldn't be the the default position it should be the uh, position of last resort and do you do you think that if a pharma if a pharmacy was had been using video link for um for, for a day, day or more should there be some some requirement from the gphc uh, that they then report this to the, to the regulator so that they can hold them to account and and question like why why are you doing this what is, it, is this is this necessary is this the best way of of uh, having of of caring for patients in your community because um, at the moment it doesn't doesn't really seem like there's um, any anything that the GPHC is really having anything to do with with pharmacies who who are using this this option of having pharmacies available via video link. Um, so I think they should, uh, any pharmacist that having to use um, this mechanism should have to declare it and declare it publicly. Um, so there should be a clear um, log to NHS England that this is what's gone on. There should be a clear log um, to GPHC. There should be a checklist you've had to run, run through of things you've tried before you've got to this point. It should not, as I repeat, be the default option. Um, for pharmacies to operate without pharmacists, um, you know, uh, as much as I think technology is um, is enabling to have conversations in different ways, and I certainly don't shy away from the fact that um, that we can have a, a remote consultation with patients these days um, on a specific clinical issue. I think that's completely separate to whether. Um, whether a pharmacy should operate without a pharmacist. Um, so, you know, from from where I'm sat, I think it is absolutely critical that um, that there's clear accountability and that owners and, and superintendents are held to account to make sure that there is no abuse um, from um, from them um, of individual RPs who are choosing to exercise this option in, in either direction. So. Whether they choose to exercise it or choose not to exercise it, um, they shouldn't be under th the threat of um, any sanction uh, from the employer as a result of making a professional decision which they they think is in the best interest of the patient and which they can both justify and that they've been through a, a checklist to, to make sure that there is really no other option. Um, okay, Mike, a lot of food for thought there. Thank you very much. Um, is there anything else you wanted to discuss? I think that's all of my, my questions for today. No, I, I guess it's just to, to reinforce that um, you know, as technology is uh, increasingly um, prevalent and capable of doing things, um, 
I, I've said quite often that not all change is progress. So um, uh, it doesn't mean that just because you can do something that you should do something. Um, and um, that might sound at odds with um, uh, my mantra at the moment, which is about trying to make pharmacies easier to deal with. Well, um, we do have to move with the times. I'm not trying to hold back the tide or um, to say that um, the pharmacy shouldn't adapt and use new technology, but that technology should be used in such a way that it reinforces the relationship with the patient. It creates capacity to uh, have conversations with, with patients um, that uh, are both um, supportive and therapeutic. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think we've got to stop seeing technology as a way of cutting corners and cutting costs and as a way of improving value and quality in the whole system which is why i think there has to be adequate safeguards around ensuring that um that individual pharmacists are not put under an unfair um, level of scrutiny by their employers for decisions they've they've taken that was mike hewitson on pharmacy supervision please let us know what your opinion is on the matter by commenting on the article about this podcast on the zini website if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe via iTunes or your preferred Android app. Thanks very much for listening.